Hey guys, welcome back to CBuzz. We are Columbus's first business-focused podcast, and I'm your host, Michaela Hunt. CBuzz is presented by the Columbus Chamber of Commerce and Capital University. We're coming to you from Capital University's Convergent Media Center right now, and this is a center that's really a collaborative space where students and faculty work together in new and exciting ways on music, film, digital media, and so much more. So our thanks to Capital, and today we're excited to be talking to Bill Troy with Civilis Marketing and Troy Research. He is our CBuzz guest. Bill, thank you for being here and spending some time with us here on CBuzz. Oh, I'm, I'm excited to be here. So you have a lot going on. Yeah. <laughs> I was doing a little <laughs> bit of show prep before our conversation. And you run two companies, have written a book on online marketing, and you still find time to present a number of really engaging business topics. I noticed that too. So First of all, let's start off. Let's introduce you a little bit. Tell our audience about these two ventures that you have, Civilis Marketing and Troy Research. Yeah, what I should probably say is I've started two companies because other people really run them now because they tell me to get out of the way. You started it. That's great. We have to get some work done. Uh, So Troy Research is an online market research company. We do online surveys. Most people today are familiar with the Survey Monkeys of the World, which is a do-it-yourself tool. We're a do-it-for-you company where we do typical market research. Um, The interesting thing about that company is we started in 1997. When the internet was so new that uh, no one thought it could even be done. We weren't research. doing online surveys no, at no, that point. No, we weren't doing right. anything online. In fact, no. one of the funny stories I tell uh, people when we talk about how we started the company, and this isn't that long ago, right? It's 20 years. Okay, 20, that's yeah. a, that's. but in 1997, we started this online market research company. And so we were doing the surveys online, delivering the reports online, and the business leaders we were selling it to didn't even have email addresses. They didn't mm. have email accounts. Wow. So we had to sell it to them over the fax machine. We you would, sold yes, over yes. fax? We would send them faxes. Here's what the report's going to look like. Here's the content. And they would fax it back. And then we would do the re- research online and fax them the, because they couldn't even get it online. There were no PDFs. Nobody had email address. And so that's how far we've come since 1997. So that business was brand new with the internet at the time. And we've been doing that for like 20 years now and work with some great global brands all over the world. Um, and then about six years ago, we came up with the idea of something new in the online marketing space, Civilis Marketing, which is really focused on, so Civilis is Latin for civilized, right? So it's focused on civilized online marketing, which I think is very uncivilized in many ways these days, um, which leads back to the book in a second. But it's about how to build a real human relationship online and digitally, okay? So you, a lot of the tools that are being used today for online marketing are being used to coerce and trick and manipulate, right? The perfect subject line. It's like the perfect pickup line at a bar, right? It's like <laughs> six ways yeah, to whatever right, that would right, be, right? Yeah. So that isn't the way to build a real authentic relationship. It's a way to just kind of trick someone to doing something quickly. But if you need to build a long-term relationship, it's a completely different process. So Civilis is focused on that, and we help our clients actually build those relationships through an organized process to know where you're at, where you need to go, what needs to happen next building trust, and so on. So that's a big process that we work on for those clients. It makes me want to ask you what you think about bots. So I am... Um, Are you pro-bot? Uh, well, I'm not a, I'm not pro-bot at all if it's between interactions between people, okay? You cannot... Computers cannot act like a human yet. There's just no way. Now, they'll sell you that it can, and they'll pretend that it can, but it can't. And look, we all know... The funny thing for me is that we all know when we're being manipulated when they're sending us junk, right? We do. But somehow business owners think that when they send that stuff out, it's okay. It's going to work. 
So, look, it's not really working. It's damaging things. So, so there's a way, and we'll kind of dive yeah, into that a little sure. bit, to do this. We can do better. We can be more civilized Absolutely. Yes. about this. Yeah, And, in fact, it's way more effective. Yeah. In the long run. Yeah, yeah. So these two businesses, so one 20 years ago, yep. and then Civilis started. Yes. And w- did you know Troy Research was where you needed it to be, and Civilis kind of spun out from there? I-, I call it a side hustle sometimes, but was it something you-, you just had a vision and thought, if I work on this a little bit, this could be something really great? You know, for me, I'm a futurist. I'm always thinking about what's going to happen. And in fact, I always start companies before you know, it's even possible, right? We started an internet research company before you could even do research on the internet. So, so Civilis grew out of thinking about where the world's going. And um, so I just was really inspired. I was inspired by what was going wrong, I thought, in the marketing world and what should be done right. So that was really why we started Civilis. Um, Troy Research still rocks on and, and does amazing work for global brands today. Um, but those guys run the business on that team and they wanted me to go find something else to do. And so I said, so I got did. this other idea. Yeah. So, but you do find time to sleep because you're yeah. not, you you have these great teams in place. Absolutely. It's all about having great people to run the company because that's not my thing. I'm an idea guy. I come, in fact, they're sometimes like, get out of here, Mr. Idea Guy. We don't need more ideas. We need to get something done today. So um, it's about figuring out what you're really good at and what you're not good at and getting people who are good at the things you're not. And there are a lot of things I'm not good at. So, and, and, and admitting that and knowing that yeah. and surrounding yourself with the right people is so important. So I, I want to talk about how you got to Columbus because you were not born, raised nope. here. Nope. And your way here was, we're lucky that you're here ultimately. So tell us a, <laughs> tell us a little bit about how you came to Nicely Central position. Ohio. I'm lucky. So um, I think that people that, and a lot of people do grow up and stay in Columbus, and I think that's fantastic, but I think that they don't realize uh, what a gem Columbus is from the standpoint of... We have some large companies in town that bring in amazing talent into the city, and I'm a result of that. In fact, I'm the spouse of the amazing talent they brought to the city in 1997. Um, my wife worked for Limited at the time, L Brands now, and they brought her from uh, brought us from Chicago for her to work on some special projects at the home office. And um, I was the spouse that came along, and I left my sales job in Chicago for us to move here and had the free time and decided now's the time for me to start the business I've always wanted to start. So no one realizes, I think, how much of that happens uh, because these companies are bringing in really high-level people. And uh, if you know Kim, you'll know she's the actual high-level person in our family. So I'm the second uh, on the second rung there. But um, they're bringing in intelligent, smart, driven people. And those people then help drive the economy of this city in a way that I don't think people really recognize. And so, uh, you know, we built Troy Research, an Inc. 500 company in Columbus, only because I, I came here as a spouse. And I'll tell you a quick anecdote. So Troy Research, for years and years, we've done research in the movie business, right? We've done work in Hollywood. Oh, that's a whole, we could have a whole yeah, other conversation a whole story there. on that. Um, and so um, I know some guys who work um, at one of our competitors in Hollywood, and they said, how the heck did this little company from Columbus, Ohio, break into the movie business? It's not possible, right? Well, um, it's just be- the reason the company's in Columbus, Ohio is because I was brought here as a spouse. So it's one of those crazy things that I think happens all the time in Columbus that people don't really recognize that really drives our economy. Having spouses of this very talented, high-level Even the talented executives. people themselves sometimes leave and start companies. Uh, but just sure. the fact that you're bringing in high-level people and the spouses as well, I think it, it's a talent infusion in Columbus that other cities don't have. They may bring in workers and we bring in labor, but I think we're bringing in creative driven people uh, because of the companies we have here. 
So given your how you and your wife got here yeah. and some of your background, you know, we were talking about you guys broke into the movie business, but you have a radio background, which we were discussing offline. Yeah. So how did you get into this area of research and this data and these relationships from where you were with radio? How did that happen? Yeah, well, it's a million little steps, right? So I was in the radio business and then I went to work for a market research company that did work for radio stations to help them figure out what music listeners want to hear on the radio. And then um, that was what I did in Chicago. And then when I came here, I decided there should be a version of this on the internet instead of, in those days we were, uh, it was a call center that did all the research. We did call out and called people at home. And, and then you faxed it out. Yeah, the there you go. Yes, you faxed the results, yeah. <laughs> right. So, um, so it was a natural migration into the research world um, through media. And a lot of our original clients um, in Troy Research were radio stations. That's how we got our start. And then we moved on to other brands and we you know, do a lot of different stuff these days, 20 years later. But the Civilis marketing story is completely different. It's just something I thought needed to be done. It just feels like there's a hole in the market. I don't like what's happening. I don't like the way people are treating me. I don't like the way... Uh, people are treating their clients, and I think there's a better way. So that was really just, this is where I think things are going to go. I think things are going to be, relationships are going to be more important going forward. And I think we're in this little bubble now where we think we can just like mass message people and spam people and accomplish something. And I think we're going to figure out later it's not true. And so Civilis will be there when that happens. So you will be proud of me. I am a definite member or user of unroll.me. There you go. And I think you know what that is. And I'm sure some of our listeners will too, because I'm constantly unsubscribing from all these emails coming into my inbox with these quote unquote great headlines. So- you are extremely dedicated to, as you say, quote, ridding the world of the garbage that yeah. floods our inboxes uh, by businesses who've followed the advice of online marketing pitchmen. So why are you so passionate about this? Um, well, I think it's just, you know, my upbringing. I don't like bullies and I feel like it's bullying. I mean, I think that uh, a lot of marketing people are convincing businesses that you need to be manipulative and aggressive and trick people. and And it's just... It's just not the way to treat people, and I think it's going to backfire. And I think um, one of the things I talk about in the book is that I think we know today as users of uh, digital media, mobile media, and and Facebook and things like that, that it's addictive as a user, right? You get that little dopamine hit when you use Facebook. We kind of know that, okay, I'll deal with it. I'll accept it. I don't think business people realize that online marketing is also addictive to use as a marketing tool. There are tons of things built into that to make it addictive for the business owner. Um, When you look at the dashboards that uh, folks like Google and Facebook create, um, they're not built to help you do better marketing. They're built because Facebook and Google have done Facebook uh, focus groups, and they found out that their customers love data and love charts and love graphs. And so they put more and more of that in there. It's like putting more and more salt and sugar in the fast food to get you to buy more. It isn't good for you. It just sells more of it. So there's a lot of that going on. And as I saw that behind the scenes, I'm like, someone needs to just blow the whistle here and say, be really careful about this. This is this could be really bad for your business if you do it. Well, now you're making me think about that moment a couple of years ago when Facebook came out and said, okay, we're going to give you more than a three-second view yeah. metric for video. We're going to give you a 10-second view. Still not getting the job done right. in terms of who's really picking up our content, I'm sure, and watching and absorbing and buying into. Yeah. So let's talk about this book that you mentioned, sure. ClickSand, How Online Marketing Will Destroy Your Business. Wow, that is, that is a title. <laughs> destroy your business. So give me a little, you just kind of gave me some background. Give me a synopsis. I mean, is this, is this something that businesses can take a look at that and figure out how to do better by reading this? Yes. In fact, we, I go through with three parts. I go, first part of the book is talking about how they're being sold snake oil. 
actually defining what a snake oil pitch is, how they've traditionally worked, even back to the original snake oil in the 1800s. Um, and then I talk about some things that are making the snake oil sell really well right now. We're just kind of all believers in computer stuff. And so we just get extra, extra points for that. And so I talk about why you're falling for it as a business owner, why you think this is the right thing to do. Um, and then why it doesn't work, right? Because the short version is, is that you're start, you're wanting to have a relationship with someone and you're starting it from a negative point of view. You're viewing that potential customer as a target to be manipulated, to force them to do things before you'll do things. They have to click before you'll respond. They have to download your white paper before you'll send them an email. They have to, you know, it's like, that's just an inherently negative process. And it changes the mindset of a business to be adversarial with their own potential customer. Um, all the while, they're looking at this dashboard going, oh, our clicks are up. Like, yeah, but people are cussing you out when they open this, when they don't, when they can't unsubscribe. So I talk about how it's actually um, addictive, seductive, but destructive. And then in the end, we say, okay. Yeah, what, what are our options? Yeah, what you really need to do, though, is look at your own business and figure out how you get customers. How do you really get customers in your business? If it is from people searching online and buying online, uh, searching online, buying online and clicking and ordering it like Amazon, great. But that's only some small sliver of businesses. If you get it by sitting down with people, building trust over time, building a relationship, getting them to know that they can trust you and they like you and they know what you do, that has to be done completely differently. It can still be done online, but it can't be done with the tools that people sell you. And the reason they sell you the tools they do is because it's about volume. Most online marketing tools are about how many people you can click or get or send to because they make money on volume. But usually you're making money on intimacy, right? Getting to know someone deeply. And I'll give you a quick, quick example. When you use LinkedIn as a sales tool, most people use it at the top. They look at the title. This is a person with this company size of 50 to 200 employees. I'm going to call them because they're the VP of whatever I sell, right? Boom, that's who I want. And that's as far as you go on LinkedIn. That's what most companies do. And that's what people would tell you to do. What we say is scroll to the bottom of someone's profile. That's where they tell you where they went to school, what charities they support, what other leaders in the industry they follow. That's what they are as a person. That's how you get to know them. And that's how you can interact with them. So the same tool can be used to build a relationship or just pound away at them with some sort of spam message. So that's what we get into is thinking about what does that person on the other side really want to hear from you? They want to hear about what they care about, that you care about them. So for the folks who, you know, we have some people out there too who've thought about writing a book. Talk, yeah. I want to talk about yeah. the process of writing ClickSand. What was that like for you? Well, you know, these days you can write a business book without even writing. You can just, you know, get on the phone and talk to people and record it. Um, but I wanted the old school method. So I actually did headphones in a coffee shop for 18 months. I love it. <laughs> right? Um, a couple of things that were interesting to me that I didn't expect. Um, I felt like I had the story together, what I wanted to say. Um, but it was, it was interesting because it's easy to start, but as you get further and further into the book, you have to keep tying it back together and it becomes exponentially more complicated as you get further into it because, oh, I said that in chapter one. I said that in chapter seven. I've got to tie that back to chapter one. So it becomes like this exponentially more complicated thing as you get closer and closer to the end. So it gets further and further away from the finish line as you go. But, uh, and then you also write things that get cut, you know, like a movie, right? Scenes that, that you just love. I, so Kim was the primary original editor for me. I was, I was writing stuff. <laughs> Nothing like having your wife yeah. editing you. <laughs> there, was, there was a chapter that's not in the book that I must have rewritten 10 times. Oh, I can make this work. No, it's really good. And I, I'd bring it back the next day and she's like, no, it doesn't work. It doesn't so, work. So that's on the cutting room floor and 
you know, so How that's part. How long did it take you to write it? Yeah, I, I wrote for 18 months, 18 but not full time, yeah. you know, so just, you know, in between other things, but Spe- I thought it was going to be a 90 day project. <laughs> Speaking of in between other things, I have to ask this since you had mentioned that, I mean, day to day, you had time to write this book. And we talked earlier about how you have really great teams in place to help run these companies. So tell me what your day-to-day actually looks like. If you had time to take out for 18 months to write this book, what what does a typical day look like for you? Right now, my typical day is um, I'm working on future ideas. Um, so I'm working on, you know, the third company and the is, fourth company. Is that whiteboarding? Is that, I mean, yeah, what, it's, I mean uh, what is that? I spend a lot of time alone, actually. Um, so it's just like writing the book, you know, I was in a coffee shop. So I wasn't technically alone, but I had headphones on, so I'm isolated. Um, I do a lot of running, so I do a lot of thinking when I'm running. I spend a lot of time in the woods. So I'm really um, sort of off really ideating um, and then bringing things back and throwing them against the wall and see what people think. Some of them fly, some of them don't. Um, and then as far as the company from the day-to-day perspective, usually I'm the, you know, the... Uh, Need a new solution, the problem solver. Um, how do we get uh, strategy? Guy yeah, strategy guy. But also, um, where do we go next from a creative, from a problem solving standpoint? We've run into some sort of bear. A lot of what we're doing is very labor intensive. So how can we make things more efficient but still make it human? You know, because so how, we're going to stick with being human. Yeah, right. That's what we need so to. we need to use technology, but not take away the human part of it. So we can always try to find ways to increase efficiency with, but not lose effectiveness. So you also have time to be participate in the business community then, if that's kind of how your day is shaped. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about what that looks like and, and really what you've been able to do with the chamber too. Right. So the two main things I'm involved with these days, I'm involved with the entrepreneurs organization. I have to be the president this year, but it's just my year to do that. Um, that's a um, entrepreneur peer group um, organization. It's in ways it's similar to the chambers, uh, chamber owner circles. Um, it's a, it's a chance for business owners to get together and share things they're going through and uh, hear from other people who have gone through the same thing. I'm just a huge, huge believer in peer groups in any, any aspect of life, whether that's you know, a peer group of parents or a peer group of survivors of cancer or a peer group of business owners. Um, there no, there's nobody else that understands what you're going through other than someone that's been through it. And no one else who can give you solutions like someone that's been through it. You know, I don't want to hear about love from somebody that wrote a book. I want to hear from someone that's had their heart broken, right? That's the person I want to hear about right. love from. So, so, so EO. Yeah, so EO. Um, and then the chamber. I'm involved. I'm on the Small Business Council of the chamber. And um, I'm just a huge fan of that from that same perspective. That's really my thing is trying to spend time with other business owners to learn from them and also be inspired by them. I, I feel like... Um, Everybody else is getting a lot more done than I am. So I'm always looking at people going, man, look what they're doing. But don't you think that leads back to some of the ideation, though, when you have those conversations oh, and those huge. business circles, yes. right? Yes. In those In those groups that well, you're in. Well, and I think uh, both of those uh, groups are types of people you can go and ask questions, and they're very open. We just had a conference call with one of the other members of the Small Business Council, um, just with our company. We just reached out to them and said, hey, you've got an interesting recruiting technique there. Would you share it with us? And they got on the phone and they talked about what they're doing. And it was just really valuable to hear that from someone that's successful in that one little area with some new ideas. And so the idea of sharing things between uh, business owners, I think is huge. You built quite a personal brand for yourself as as well outside of Civilis and, and Troy Research. I've read some of your blogs too. Was it, Was that intentional? And how did you approach that kind of growth? You know, I actually don't like the spotlight, um, which is weird to say. I was in the radio business. And, and, and you're here. Yeah, and I'm on the So turn that light off. Um, <laughs> I, but I, there are times when something needs to be said. And that really is what I got growing up is like, somebody needs to say something. And uh, okay, 
I'm going to say it. And so that's really what drives that for me. I think there are things that are missing in the public discourse and someone needs to say them. And if no one else is, then I'm going to do that. And that's uh, when I'm passionate about it. That's when I'm willing to stand up and sort of take that spotlight. And when you're in the spotlight, when you when you're when you're in a public speaking situation, advice for the folks who are listening about how to find their confidence when they want to speak up, but they're not the greatest public speaker or they're having trouble speaking up, but they need to publicly express it. What would you tell them? I think, first of all, you have to be passionate about it. I think you have to be, it has to be something you really have to drive, want to drive home. You know, I remember um, one of the things that I learned early in the radio business was that you're communicating with only one sense. People are receiving you only with their ears, right? They can't see you. Um, they can't, you know, none of the other senses. They can't touch you. It's all about right. the voice. So right. you really got to push it through. You really have to get it through there. So I think that is what I would say to anyone. If you want to get your message across, you have to get to the point where you're very emotional and passionate about it. And then you're not thinking about how you're doing it. You're thinking about, I've got to communicate this to you. It's so important. Um, and then the rest can kind of take care of itself. Of course, there are techniques that you can, you know, use to make sure you're doing it correctly. But I think that's the first thing is authenticity and emotion. Did you ever have a coach for public speaking? Um, I have had coaches, uh, for organizing the material. Yeah. What do people want to hear? In fact, I'll tell you, it's funny. Uh, Seth Godin and I emailed back and forth about my book, ClickSand, and he gave me some advice that he was, he said, I wanted him to put a blurb on the back and he said, not going to do it. Like, Why? (laughs) It's like, it's a negative title. No one buys negative titles. <laughs> so, <laughs> that was his so advice. That was advice. Like, well, I'm kind of committed to this now. Yeah, so I'm, I'm there. Okay, I won't put you on the book. But um, <laughs> yeah, so. So people, so you will get advice you've, you've oh, in terms gosh, of yeah. organizing the material, especially, which is really important for yeah. your messaging. Yeah. In fact, uh, with the ClickSand message, I have learned since the book came out that um, people are intrigued by the message, but they really want to know what you asked, which is what to do instead. Okay, this is great. Yeah, we're all doomed because of this, but what do we do instead? And so I've really turned my message around in the last year to talk a lot more about what to do instead, how to actually build those real human relationships and connections versus focusing on what those evil people are doing. So that's something that I've uh, gotten from coaches as well and have changed what I'm talking about. For individuals looking to kind of build their career and those connections to do it in a way that's authentic, what would you tell them? I mean, we are behind a screen a lot of the time. Is it a matter of getting putting yourself out there? I mean, obviously there's more to it than that, but what would you say? To build? I would say figure out what the person on the other end wants to receive from you today. And it's not something that you want to send to them, right? It's not. It's not about you. It's about them. Always about them. Because an audience is what's in it for me. Correct. Correct. We're all in it for me. Yes. And usually, and, and a couple of techniques you can always use is ask a question. All right? No one asks questions anymore. They all want to tell. They all want to talk. If you send an email, and I, we do this with our clients, um, most, most people are focused when they send emails on open rate, click rate, that sort of thing. We focus at Civilis about response rate. I want to know what percentage of people wrote back to you. That's what counts. And that's what we focus on. So if you figure out what's going to get people to respond to you, that's what really is going to drive the relationship forward. And that's going to be usually asking a question about something that they care about that's not just what you care about, right? So it's something in their personal life or whatever. Let me tell you that you could write to the biggest CEO in town. And if you, let's say they, uh, they have a child that went to Wittenberg and you have a child that's looking for a college and you write to them and say, hey, would you mind if I uh, asked you what Jackie thought of Wickenburg, Wittenberg when he went there? Because my daughter's looking for a college and she's mentioned that. And it looks like your son went there. You will get a response back in 30 seconds from the busiest person in town. So because it's something they care about, 
you want their advice, you want their wisdom, and that's how you treat people to get them involved and, and build a relationship with them. So it's a series of things like that that you have to do. It doesn't matter if it's online or not. Authenticity is just critical, and, I, and I'm with you there on that, given what I do in my work and my life. Um, are there times when it doesn't work, I guess? Because we know it does work. We know authenticity works in relationship. Are there times when you're trying to build a relationship that it doesn't work? Or have you rarely seen authenticity fail? Well, uh, so we say there are three circles. You can only have a relationship with someone that fits into all three circles. Circle one is that they're open to having a new relationship. And that's the first one that most people, and that's what a lot of the online marketers convince you to break that one. Well, if you just hit them often enough, you just keep sending it, you know, that's called stalking. If they don't <laughs> want a relationship, you can't make someone you're, a relationship. You're not mincing words. Right. It's stalking. It is stalking. It's stalking. So they have to want to have a new relationship. They have to be someone you want to have a relationship with, and you have to have something in common with them that you can build the relationship on. People don't like people. They both, both people like the same things. Relationships are built on commonalities. We have the same sense of humor. We like the same music, whatever. And so if you can find the point where all three of those match, you can build a relationship with anyone that's authentic. If they don't, you can't, right? And so that's when it doesn't yeah. work, so, right? You know. I want to go back to, you were talking about kind of response rate a second ago, and I want to talk a little bit more about research and, you know, when you founded Troy Research and what has come out of that. Why is research so important for business and all industries of business? Why is it so important to gather customer opinion research in an effective way. Yeah, it's interesting because it's changed so much uh, in the 20 years we've had Troy Research. Um, these days, actually, uh, in some ways, fortunately, but in some ways, unfortunately, businesses are awash in data, right? We have point of sale data and web tra traffic data and Google Analytics data and all this data. Um, but what we focus on mostly at Troy Research that I think businesses should spend more time on is not what happened, but what didn't happen. Why did people not come to your website? Why did they not come to your store? So that's really the value, I think, of, of market research in general is finding out what you don't know, what your blind spots are. And um, because your customers do know it, they're just not telling you. They're just driving on by. Why did you drive by? We have to figure that out. So that's really what I think is still uh, valuable in market research, in professional market research. Let's go get the answers to what's not happening and why they're not choosing us. So um, my other question is, how often should businesses do it, this market research? Oh, wow. Well, it, that's different for every industry and every business. I think it really depends on how, how frequently your customers' opinions are changing. And that's based on what the product is. You know, like as I said, we do research for media. And if it's music opinions, you know, what's a great country song these days? That changes every week, right? It if, does. And yeah. I just watch I just watched the Grammy Awards. I'm concerned about some of the things <laughs> that I saw there. So there you should you do go. some market research on that. <laughs> but if it's uh, you know, if it's tractors, maybe that doesn't change as often. I mean, there are new features that come out. So it's a matter of figuring out how frequently uh, your customers' opinions change so you can keep keep on top of that. So it's different by industry. And what can you so you do something of this within the movie industry? I mean, how much can yeah. you talk about what you do? Yeah, so uh, what we actually do in the in the movie industry is uh, international tracking for them. So when movies are going to come out, we track awareness and interest of those movies before they come out in six countries around the world. So we know what percentage of people are looking forward to the next Spider-Man movie in Germany before it comes out. And that allows the studio to target their advertising, to say, okay, there's a lot of interest in this movie. They usually actually uh, use it as well to decide whether to make the movie, right? Is there interest in another Spider-Man movie? Let's just start there. 
We've had the same movie like eight <laughs> times, right? We have, um, we have. And um, so what is the interest? What kind of audience uh, is there for that movie? And, um, you know, should they make another one? And if so, who will be interested in it? And then how do they adjust their marketing to try to reach new people? Sometimes the movie is, you know, should be appealing to men and it's not. So let's figure out what they like or what they don't like. And um, so it's really tracking what consumers are looking for from a movie. So you're a futurist. So yeah. I have to ask as we kind of end this interview, what's next for you? What's next for your business is? Right. So um, I believe in general, I'll just talk about where I think the marketing world is going. I think we are in a, a bubble of time. And we, you know, we can look back at things that have happened in the past, the dot-com era, right? I think we're going to look back at this as the digital marketing era. It's going to be almost... Um, you know, like a funny time where it was crazy. Man, we just like blasted everybody with everything and we didn't realize it wasn't going to work and we had to get back to authenticity. I think that's, uh, we're, we're going through that time right now and I think we're going to look back at this and kind of laugh. Um, you know, we're going to have, it's like we had bad, hair, bad haircuts and bad pants in our marketing <laughs> Taking world. Taking me back right? to 1985, like, Yeah, right. right. So I feel like, um, and I'll tell you one little anecdote um, that backs that up. Um, it's, it was at the one of the uh, Columbus uh, Chamber events last year. The Fraser Hyvie folks, uh, Brian Haviland, did, did a study, the Columbus Trust Study. I think they've been doing that every year. And he it. presented that. And one of the things he pointed out in there is that millennials, who, you know, people like to, um, you know, joke about millennials, but millennials are going to be running everything. In the next 10 years, they're going to be buying 80% of everything that is purchased. So you're selling to millennials. And what he talked about was building trust with millennials is all about treating them as individuals. They want to know you know them as a person. They don't care what you've done for other people. They don't care what your credentials are. They care that you know them and care about them and understand what they want. So personal relationships are going to be way more important going forward than they have been in the past because of that, regardless of what technology people invent. There's still a human on the other side. Do you think Gen Z and Gen Alpha, like ultimately, are they going to have some of the similar things going on there? I think so. I think they're they're craving connection. They're going to create. I mean, yes, they're really they're they're using a lot of the digital tools, and they're very digital. You know, they're digitally savvy. But I still think we haven't changed DNA. No. There's still emotions underneath. There's still a need underneath. And if they're not getting it, and you can provide it, a personal connection. Uh, we find right now already in 2019 that you can be incredibly successful because no one else is doing that. And I think you're going to have to do that to succeed going forward. Get back to authenticity. hundred percent. hundred percent. Yeah. Bill Troy, thanks so much for being with us. Absolutely. And if you were inspired, educated, or informed by today's episode, and of course we hope you were, let us know. You can do that by leaving a rating or a review. All you have to do is search CBuzz on iTunes or your preferred podcast platform. When you let us know how we're doing, it also helps us plan future episodes, so it's incredibly helpful. Again, CBuzz is produced in collaboration with Capital University and is recorded at Capital's Convergent Media Center, so we give a hearty thanks to their talented students, faculty, and staff for the work they do producing the podcast. I'm Michaela Hunt. Thanks again for joining us, and I'm looking forward to our next conversation.